She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The time for empty talk is over. Now arrives the hour of action. Do not allow anyone to tell you that it cannot be done. No challenge can match the heart and fight and spirit of America. A new national pride will stir our souls, lift our sights, and heal our divisions. Together, we will make America strong again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And yes, together, we will make America great again. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for being with us. You can go to StaceyOnTheRight.com and hit the subscribe button. You can also find me online on social media outlets. Um, you know, whatever, at Stacey on the Right. Right now, I want to pivot over to a subject that's near and dear to my heart that is really important to Americans in general, but specifically Americans who are parents. And that is our public education system. Now, you've got um, Dr. DeVos coming out and speaking. She's a secretary of education, speaking about the Democrats and their unions and what what is going on with the situation here. And. So I'm not actually against, obviously, I, I like teachers. I think they're wonderful people. But I think public school teachers have really been done a disservice by unions. And now it's kind of like, you know, you're, they're, they're married to the devil. They've got, they feel no way out. Now, there is a way out. And we're seeing a lot of just charter schools popping up in a lot of different places, a lot of different educational options. Millions of parents in America are now homeschooling and really taking advantage of that time that they can spend with their kids. And for families that both parents work, there are even homeschool options where a group of people, teachers, et cetera, et cetera, are homeschooling your kids at what's called a learning center. And so it's still the freedom of homeschool where you choose your classes. It's like being in school, but you choose the classes that you're going to take. So instead of waiting until college to do that, you start doing that as early as middle school. And the curriculum is is kind of laid out before you for choices. And, and it's just an amazing uh, array of options that have become available to parents recently. The tra- from the traditional homeschool model, where it's the mom or the dad at home doing the homeschooling, to all of the different things that have come about because Americans are realizing what she's about to discuss here in this clip, that every student doesn't learn in the same way. And every traditional school building doesn't meet the needs of every child. So if you want to meet the needs of your child and you're really interested in getting an option for them that can work, then you have other things available to you. But she wants to make that even more prevalent to kind of eliminate this idea that there's only one way to educate your child. So here she is in number four talking about that. Practically speaking, we need many more kinds of educational experiences for students to pursue, to get the best out of each and every student. For some some students, it might mean longer school days or more days in school. For others, it might mean a different kind of environment where they are hands-on learning and doing project-based learning. But we have to make sure that all of them have the opportunity to develop the skills that are going to take them forward into adulthood, like critical thinking, communication skills, Uh, fostering creativity and the ability to work together with others. Much of that has been lost as we've been focused so much on uh, assessments of math and reading. Uh, And and even in doing so, we've seen those scores just sort of taper off and uh, continue to be the middle of the pack as compared to the rest of the world. We're trying to do a top-down approach that is imposed on almost everyone, and it doesn't work for way too many students. So Betsy DeVos has made a point here that a lot of parents have come to through trial and error, and it can be really hard for, for some families when they're looking for something for their kids, if their child has any kind of learning disability or special need, they can look around and not only do the public schools not have the options they want, but sometimes they can't get their child into a private school that they want to get into because a lot of private schools don't take any, they, they're not, they're not willing to do ind- individual education plans. And so it, 
it can be very, very difficult. What she's talking about would help to address some of those needs as well. It's not just traditional learning students who are having trouble fitting into that old industrial age model of everyone sitting in a classroom of 18 to 25 kids and all the desks facing the front and spending 55 minutes listening to a lecture and then getting a sheet of homework and doing that at night. And that works for a bunch of kids, but it also doesn't work for bunches more. And we need options that can meet the needs of these children and still maintain a viable source of labor for us in the future. And I know that's not popular to say. Most people are like, well, don't talk about people as if they're cogs in a wheel. Well, we're not. But where do you think we get employees for all of these fantastic companies that people are creating? You have to have kids who can read and write and do math on grade level. So we, it's important. We, there's, there's no getting around this. And when we don't have American kids who are graduating at grade level, proficient or advanced and college ready, even if they're not going to college, what happens You see people who own businesses using lobbyists to get people in Congress to give them more H-1B-1 visa authorizations. They will go overseas and get the labor. And some countries around the world are turning out more college graduates on a yearly basis. Like India, they graduate more people from college every year than we have as a population of our entire country. We have 320 some odd million, correct? That 314, 300, whatever number you'd like, they're graduating around 350 million college graduates a year because they have over a billion people living there. That means those people are graduating with college degrees and they want to go somewhere where they can work and make a fantastic living. That creates a permanent underclass of Americans who are not viable in the workplace for anything other than, you know, very entry level labor. To which they say, well, I have a family. I don't want to make seven fifty dollars an hour. To which businesses say, hmm, you know what? I'll just put a robot there. I'll just put a huge thing that looks like an iPad there to take orders. That's what they're doing at McDonald's. I don't know if you noticed, but this has been, these kiosks have been something that are a thing for over 20 years overseas. Because overseas, they didn't have the labor that was willing to do this entry-level basic work. They had plenty of it with people working in grocery stores and gas stations, et cetera. They didn't need people to man McDonald's in that way. So they have always had a leaner workforce overseas, especially in Germany. That's where I grew up. And that's where I get this, you know, I saw the kiosk there first. Well, now here in the U.S., there it's not that there aren't people who need these jobs. It's that the people who need these jobs are unemployable. They won't show up. They won't stay employed for the same company. They won't just, hey, Welcome to McDonald's. Can I take your order? They have an attitude problem. When you order, they don't get your order right. And so what's easier? Make all of the machines that make the food, add a computer to them. You have three people working there instead of eight. You get rid of five negative ninnies with bad attitudes who don't want to work there, who just want to be paid for doing nothing, who won't show up on time, who won't show up at all. You get rid of them and replace them with kiosks. So the only ones who are there are ones who can manage the computers, manage the robots, et cetera, et cetera, and make sure that everything's running smoothly. You don't need as many people. That's where this is going, which means it's so it's even more important. If you thought a good education was important before, it is even more important now to have the the basics because anyone can say, I have a high school education. I was at or above grade level and I was enjoying myself. I was living life to the fullest and it was great. And I'm working and now, you know what, I think I need to go on and get some technical school or I need to go on and get some kind of advanced training or I'm ready to go and get my bachelor's degree. If you were on grade level at or above proficient or advanced, then it doesn't matter when you decide to go take that leap and and get some college, you can still do it. But if you're struggling and just barely graduating from high school and you have the absolute, it's not even the minimum, it's oh my goodness, how did you get a high school diploma? You can barely read at like an eighth grader. And if you have any children who read at the college level, you know what you know what the difference between those two things are. If you can't read at grade level in the eighth grade or the 12th grade, you're not reading at the adult reading level for Americans, then you're also not thinking at that level. You're not communicating at that level. And you're not able to control yourself at that level. I mean, it's a, it's... Not just where you can say, well, this otherwise fantastic individual who has all these wonderful skills, but can barely read at the eighth grade reading level. No, it's indicative of other issues. And this is, this is hard talk because people don't want to hear it because, well, you're talking about this group of people. You're downgrading that. You hate yourself. No, I don't. 
I actually think it is the most caring thing you can do is to say to a child and their parents, your child's not at reading level. They're not at grade level. Here's the grade level where they're reading. We need to do something about that. Here's a plan of attack to get your child up to not just proficient, but basically advanced in reading or in math or in whatever the subject matter is. That is one of the most caring things a person can say to you, an educator, a superintendent, a principal, teacher, what have you. Anyone who's willing to tell you that truth is basically saying, I see a big, huge pit up ahead of you. And instead of you just barreling forward and falling into that pit, never to be recovered, I want you to pump the brakes and let's address this issue. Let's get this pit out of your direction. You're, you're not going anywhere near this pit. We're going to rescue you from this pitfall. You're going to be at grade level and be able to continue on with your education if you want to. It is, it's one of the most caring things anyone can say to you. That and, you know, obviously if you have some kind of illness or disease that needs to be addressed and you don't know about it, or I mean, obviously the biggest one, do you know our Savior, you know, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Do you, do you know him? Do you want to know him? So I, this, this isn't about looking down on anyone. It's about saying, I don't want a person to be in the trap that is not having a proper education in America. Sets you up for failure, sets you up for a life of crime and degradation. And we should be doing everything we can to stop people from going in that direction. So Betsy DeVos, obviously she gets a lot of flack from people on the left because they hate her. But look what happened with Ron DeSantis down in Florida. Ron DeSantis won his race doing no small part to black women who crossed over from voting for Democrats because Black Pack, which is a uh, it's a I believe they're based in Florida. It's a um, it's an organizing 501c3 or c4. What they do is they raise money and they put it behind candidates who adhere to a certain ideology, namely school choice, things that really make radical changes in communities. And so what they did was they ran ads saying, hey, not, and not at the behest of the candidate. Ron DeSantis didn't have anything to do with it. Black Pack said, look, you got two candidates here. You got Gillum, who he's against school choice. He doesn't care how bad your kid's school is. Your kid has to stay there. And you got DeSantis. DeSantis says, you want an opportunity to go to a school that, it, that rocks? You want to put your kid using a voucher or a lottery system or whatever the, whatever the, the deal is. You want your kid out of that failing school? Then... Yes, let's do that. Let's let's change your child's future. Let's set them on the path to being able to access the American dream. Those ads tipped the scale in DeSantis's favor because women who otherwise disagree with the Republican Party platform were thinking about what they should be thinking about, which is the betterment of their children and their families. And they said, you know what, I got to get over here and vote for this guy because I do want my kids in a good school. School choice is a winning issue for any political party that decides to undertake it. The Democrats say they're not opposed to it, but they have the teachers unions to to bow to. And we don't. The Republicans don't. So as we go out, let's listen to number five. Uh, They'll take us out into the break. It's DeVos, too. The teachers union has a stranglehold on many of the politicians in this country, both at the federal level and at the state level. And they are very resistant to the kind of changes that need to happen. Uh, They are very protective of what they know and they're protective of really protective of adult jobs and and, uh, not really focused on what's right for individual students. In some states, we've made significant progress, but there is a lot more progress to to be made. And at the federal level, I think there needs to be honest conversations Mm. in the policymaking rooms around what is right long term for the health of our students, of our children, which is the future of our country. So right. All right. You keep it here. Being a godly dad, it's more than just a meaningless jog around the neighborhood. It's a race with an eternal purpose, too important to run alone. Hey, wait up! OneMillionDads.com wants to come alongside you in your effort to be a godly influence on your children. We're here to both encourage and equip you in your important role as dad. Visit OneMillionDads.com and keep up the good work.
It's amazing, but true. When it comes to one of America's biggest household expenditures, healthcare, a lot of people think they've got no choice. People are used to thinking we have to do it this way, but they don't. Yes, you have the freedom to choose an alternative with your healthcare. It's MediShare, and it costs way less than the alternatives. The typical family saves $500 a month, not a year, a month. And if you're single, this can save you a lot too. And let's face it, a big reason MediShare is 400,000 people strong, it just works. They've shared over $3 billion in medical bills, so they can help share your needs too. Joining MediShare for so many people is one of those things that makes you say, why didn't I do this before? So yes, the time has come for something better. Look into joining MediShare and see why so many people are opting out of the old way and into the new. Why not look into this? Just call 855-PSALM-23. That's 855-PSALM-23. 855-PSALM-23. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. You know, if I were to ask you which professions have high suicide rates, you would probably mention military veterans suffering from PTSD. In their latest report, the Centers for Disease Control have found that the suicide rate for young male military veterans is higher than previously thought, but they found that it is lower in some states than the suicide rate for farmers. The high suicide rate for farmers is only now just beginning to get media attention. Mike Rossman is a psychologist who has been studying this issue for decades and has an appreciation for the stresses on farmers since he is also an Iowa farmer. Writing in the journal Behavioral Healthcare, he reminds us that farming has always been a stressful occupation because many of the factors that affect agricultural production are largely beyond the control of the producers. This is borne out by the latest statistics from the CDC. If you focus on all the people working in agriculture, farmers, farm laborers, ranchers, fishers, and lumber harvesters, they take their lives at a rate higher than any other occupation. The suicide rate for agricultural workers in 17 states is nearly five times higher compared to that of the general population. The reasons for this are many. Farmers are often reluctant to seek help. Often their farms are far away from health care centers. Pesticide exposure can lead to depression. They are isolated. And the cost of feed and equipment continues to rise while the prices they receive for food and fiber remain stagnant. This is a health care crisis that deserves attention. Perhaps this is the first time you've even heard about the suicide rate of farmers. Making citizens and politicians aware of this crisis is the first step. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. For a free copy of Kirby's booklet, A Biblical View on Antisemitism, go to viewpoints.info slash antisemitism. Viewpoints.info slash antisemitism. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey everybody, welcome back to the program. It's my pleasure to welcome our next guest to the show. It is Bert Folsom. He's a distinguished fellow at Hillsdale College. Thank you, Bert, for joining us today again on the program. Stacy, it's good to be with you today. Uh, so this subject, the textbooks, U.S. history textbooks, it, it, it's not just U.S. His, history textbooks, but this is super important because a lot of parents, you're, paying, you're busy paying tuition, you're busy working, you're busy trying to support your student in whatever way that you can. They're off at college. And you really, you've carefully chosen this, you know, higher education institution. You've spent the time. You're now spending the money. And to hear that your child is being taught socialism or, or many of these very un-American things, it's just like, what are parents supposed to do? Tell us exactly what the situation is with this U.S. history textbook. Right. It's very bad, Stacey. And the way you framed it, I think, is very accurate because parents have no way of knowing usually what their kids are, uh, what, their, what their children are learning in college. And or in the case, not learning or what what false things they're learning. Uh, I teach American history and have taught for years at, at Hillsdale College. And the uh, fortunately, Hillsdale is not caught up in the textbook problem because we use primary source readers. We use uh, where we get the original sources by uh, whether it's John Winthrop or Franklin Roosevelt or Ronald Reagan or who, but. Uh, the, the typical textbook is a historian's treatment of the past, and the textbooks are notoriously biased, with the exception of Larry Schweikart's Patriot's History of the United States. The textbooks lean far to the left, 
and often are indoctrinating students in uh, agnosticism, uh, indoctrinating them in socialism. That's the one that uh, specifically has concerned me with the textbook bias study that I did. So textbook bias study, that indicates that you probably looked at a lot of different books. What, uh, what number of books or what can you tell us about the study that you conducted? Right. I looked at many, many books. Uh, the one I focused on uh, primarily was the best-selling American History College textbook. It's also used heavily in high school classes, especially for advanced placement. And that book is entitled The American Pageant. Uh, the authors are David Kennedy and Elizabeth Cohen. And that textbook has uh, been out for decades, and it uh, has many biases. Uh, for example, one, uh, one to focus on is the rise of the United States to being a world power. Uh, after the Civil War, the United States was a second-rate power. Fifty years later, the United States was a first-rate power. The textbook, uh, the American pageant, says it was primarily due to corruption. Now, I don't know how you get rich by being corrupt, but that's sort of the emphasis that they have. Instead of emphasizing the entrepreneurs, Stacy, who helped the United States rise to greatness, uh, whether it's uh, Cornelius Vanderbilt, the first American to be worth $100 million and was so successful in railroads and in uh, steamships, or John D. Rockefeller in oil or Andrew Carnegie in steel, uh, all of these industries, America became supreme, and they did it by having entrepreneurs by uh, producing good products at competitive prices in a free economy. And so those economies abroad that had gone to early versions of socialism fell way behind the United States. The textbook, The American Pageant, fails to mention that, fails to credit the entrepreneurs, and thus is uh, a real problem. We have that study, by the way, available at www.trueamericanhistory.us. So students can just free uh, look online and see the biases in that textbook if they happen to have it assigned to them by their professors or their high school teachers. What would be awesome is if American kids all across the country read, read your, your website. And I'll give it again. It's trueamericanhistory.net. Um, if, if kids all across the sir, dot us. Sorry about that. I wrote that down wrong. Sure. Um, trueamericanhistory.us. If, uh, if kids would just start challenging their instructors on that and keep coming back with the truth on it. And that, that's what has to happen. In addition to that, parents have to push back. Parents who are funding these, uh, you know, educations for their kids, you have to reach out to these universities and say, I'm sorry, why are you using this heavily biased textbook? And if they say, well, that's just the one we've always used. Well, that's not the payment I'm making. You know, I'm, I'm not making payments for that. I'm not writing out tuition checks for this kind of uh, indoctrination. And you made a statement, Bert, and if you're just tuning into the show, I'm speaking with Bert Folsom, distinguished fellow Hillsdale College, about his study that he did of higher education in the U.S. history textbook realm, where he found um, he found that that these kids, all all kids, so it's foreign kids too, it's exchange students, it's students who come from abroad to get a U.S. Uh, education, you know, from our universities. They're all learning that America basically stole everything that we have. And you said you don't get prosperous by being corrupt. Well, that's usually true, except if you're in the realm of politics. And if you look at who's controlled U.S. education, <laughs> right. right, Democrats have gotten wealthy through corruption and graft, theft, lying, and hoodwinking the American people. And so it's natural that they would think, because that's how they became successful, that that's how America became successful and want to convince kids that that's what happened as well. And kids who learn that only want to hurt the country that they're living in because they think it's bad. But they're not looking at the fact that most of these kids, they're going to college at a campus that is the envy of every other country on the planet. America is known for having the most beautiful college campuses anywhere in the world. And most of these kids are going, they're receiving money from the government if they're disadvantaged. If they're not disadvantaged, they have scholarship money or their parents are helping them pay. Worst of the worst, they're borrowing every penny of it, but they, that our system enables you to borrow your entire college education and put it on you know, a payment plan for the rest of your life. There's really nothing you can say about the U.S. education system that would cause a student to believe that other than the fact that we've allowed it to become perverted by indoctrination. 
Well, and uh, Stacy, you put your finger on it, and so many of these, the interesting thing is so many of these colleges, which have gone in a negative direction, a very liberal direction, were started by some of these entrepreneurs. That's the wild thing. Vanderbilt University, started by Cornelius Vanderbilt, has shifted far to the left. One of the tragedies is that the universities are not operating according to the desires of its founders. They're moving politically in an opposite direction. I'm pleased at Hillsdale College because we take no federal aid. And so Hillsdale has been uh, somewhat exempt from some of those changes. No federal aid, and we've been integrated since our founding in 1844 and also co-educational. We are the second uh, integrated co-educational institution in the country, founded in 1844, and have not had the pressure of government aid and government money. We have to have, we have to pacify government bureaucrats. And it, it, it's a natural shift to the left. Hillsdale College has never had to do that, so that uh, we are able to give uh, college education of high quality that uh, uh, other institutions simply can't do. Mm, and and I I echo those sentiments. I think Hillsdale is it's by far the standard bearer. So I'm in a, a huge book club of women, and and from moms who have adult kids all the way down to moms who have like seven and eight year old kids. And the bulk of us are in that mid-range where we have maybe a high schooler or two left, and then we have kids in college. And all of us considered Hillsdale. It's one of the the, the resources I get, the Imprimus newsletter. A lot of us uh, refer to Hillsdale College, and a few of the women are graduates, and their parents graduated from Hillsdale. So we, we often, Hillsdale creeps into the conversation. But Hillsdale, Liberty uh, University, and, and also there are others, yeah. Hard Work U down in the Lake of the Ozarks. Um, oh, that's a wonderful college. Yeah, these are great schools, but we need more of them. But it, in, in the absence of more of these schools cropping up, it is incumbent upon parents, whether your kid is borrowing their education or you're paying for it out of, you know, literally writing a check out every month. You have to be aware that this is what's going on. And when your kids start coming home at Thanksgiving and Christmas and spring break and saying things about how horrible America is, it's not that they're talking about this while they're video gaming on the weekend. They're getting this stuff straight from their professor and they're having to be tested on it. And it's being drummed into them in these classes. You are, uh, you're completely right. Stacey, you were very involved with your children. I, uh, I, I was, I'm uh, totally plugged into them. They might want me to unplug a little, but I'm plugged into them. <laughs> <Little> jokers. <laughs> I'm, I'm well, into them. <laughs> Most students say the United States is responsible for many of the world's problems. After World War II, not, not only did the United States uh, make it so we had a free world after World War II, but Europe was in a state of such uh, depression, and they'd had famine. They hadn't been able to plant crops. The United States, at our expense, sent food to feed millions of Germans, not, not even uh, Englishmen, which we did, and Frenchmen, but those who were on the other side, the Nazis, Germans citizens there to keep them from starving. We saved millions of lives, and we did it by having to run a deficit to some extent in our federal budget, although we made some good decisions. We lowered the tax rates and got the revenue up, so it wasn't as bad as it could have been. But nonetheless, the United States, out of our own generosity, fed the defeated nations of Europe and also Japan, and plus our, friend, our allied nations, I don't know in history of any nation that's ever done that before. Yeah, and and so there that's that's a fantastic story, Bert, but there are so many others like that where America yeah. said like the AIDS epidemic in Africa. I I happen to know that president US president after US president has authorized and reauthorized funding to not just to help the people in Africa battle the AIDS epidemic, but to do research there to try to eliminate AIDS as a, you know, as a as a disease. And to figure out the causes for communication. I mean, you're, we're talking about just billions of dollars in research and aid that have come from America. And it wasn't a problem for us at the time. At the time, it was something that was only happening there. When it began to you know, crop up in the United States, we spent even more research dollars on it. Public education campaigns sent scientists there. And part of it is obviously you want to eradicate something before it comes to your shores. It's here now. We have people in America who live with right. AIDS, many, many, many thousands of people who've died but it's just over and over again when we see a problem somewhere, we'll send some of our people over or we'll send money and aid or physical 
items, like you talked about the food. We do that because we want to stop bad things from happening. We want to stop people from dying. That is not what we see from corrupt nations. We don't, we don't hear these huge stories about China. They have billion, a billion people there. They have yeah. really, they're very wealthy. They could do humanitarian aid on a scale that would be just outstanding, but they don't. They don't do that at all. They don't do that at all. That, that's a very good example of the United States activities in trying to halt the AIDS epidemic in Africa and China's refusal to do anything, to even notice. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would be surprised, I'm sure, the Chinese, that you would even make a suggestion that they might do something. hmm <laughs> Because it's antithetical to their government. They're communists, and the people that live there, unlike here where we're citizens and we can choose to be a citizen or we can renounce our citizenship, which I remember looking this up a few years ago, Bert, and realizing that just under 4,000 people a year, sometimes it's low, it's like 1,700. Sometimes it's really high, like a little over 4,000. But about 4,000 people a year, give or take, every year renounce their U.S. citizenship and become citizens of another country. Um, but that's 4,000 out of 325 million. In China, right. citizens that want to even vacation abroad, and if they look like they're too happy about going on vacation, they'll, th- their government will say, if you leave, will kill all your family members or your family members are going to the, the worker camp, which means they're going to be killed. Or if you leave and you stay gone too long, they'll, they'll communicate with their citizens. You've been in, say, America too long. If you don't come back, your entire extended family will, will just wipe them off the face of, of the earth. That's right. the Chinese way. So the idea that we're out there doing all these wrong things, it's just not true. You know what we could do, Bert? Because I'm, I'm into being real. We have the military might to take over a whole bunch of other countries if we wanted to. And I've joked around about this. What we should do is a big, huge fixer-upper like on HGTV. We should use our military might to subjugate the entire South American hemisphere. Just take the whole thing over. Route out all of the drug dealers and the the MS-13, all of the gangs. Just eliminate them. Wipe them from the face of the earth. And then just redo their governments and create South America, like literally South United States of America. Each one of those countries would be a state. Break up the states that are too big to be states. The countries that are too large to be a viable state, break them up. Install governors and the same system of government that we have. Give everybody down there a part of the Constitution. Make them American citizens. Give them passports, driver's licenses. Start American schools down there. Just take it all over. The whole thing would be America. And tell the Canada people, if you want to be Americans too, you know, throw in, get rid of Trudeau. You can be the state of Canada and just, just be done with all of this garbage with the people trying to come here. With the, if it weren't for the United States, I think all of the nations you described and many others would be pure rubble. The United States has been kind of a safety valve for the whole world. People to come here, and I'm talking about legal immigration. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been bad with the illegal, but with the legal immigration, and then with the freedom of ideas so that people who come here can then live lives they never could have lived abroad, which is why they want to come here. Uh, we have something to offer, and if they'll come here legally, it would be perfectly proper. But uh, Well, and the ones to, that do to, come here legally send, what, a third of Mexico's GDP is uh, remit, yeah. remittances from America. So even when we're not helping, and we do help right. billions of dollars, even when we're not helping, we're helping because the citizens are like, I got to send, you know, I'm making like the same amount I would make in a whole year. I make here in America in one month. I'm going to send a third of what I make to my family so they can live. So we're supporting them whether we're trying to or not. Right, right. And uh, all we have to do is in the classroom, I think, as far as history goes, is give the example after example of how we establish freedom. Uh, that that more that ninety percent of the founders were Christian. Mm. That they were influenced by by their Christianity in setting up the natural rights that went into the United States. And what happens when this unique experiment comes about? We become a center for the world in innovation, in prosperity. We get migrants, record numbers of migrants from all over, and we produce the standard of living that then ends up being exported to the other nations that you mentioned, uh, who can tap into some of this and learn about it. And then the United States becomes the, the really the center of freedom, uh, the center of prosperity, and giving. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, Bert Folsom, I hear the music, distinguished fellow, Hillsdale College. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we'll talk again soon. And thank you for your study. Thank you, Stacey. All right. Talk to you again soon. Have a great week. We'll be back with more right after this. Your calls at 866-963-2037. Stay there.
like I wanted to have the abortion because I was trying to hide a situation. When a young mom in crisis walks into a preborn pregnancy center, she's welcomed with open arms and given love, support, and a free ultrasound to meet her unborn baby. This young woman not only chose life for her baby, but heard the message of Jesus Christ and was comforted from the guilt and pain that plagued her. Preborn centers lead the nation in providing free ultrasounds. When an abortion-minded woman sees her baby on ultrasound, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds, and 100% of your sponsorship goes towards saving babies. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. This is Kay Arthur. Are you hungry for love? Unconditional love because unconditional is what you need. You've blown it, made a mess of life, and deep inside you wonder if anyone could love you the way you are. God does. And that's why God let His only Son, Jesus Christ, die on a cross almost 2,000 years ago. Jesus died for you because God knew you would fail to measure up. That's how much God loves you. The Bible, God's book, says while you were a sinner, a person who failed and missed God's standard, Jesus died for you. But that's not all. God raised Jesus from the dead. Because Jesus lives forever, you can too. If you want unconditional love, dear one, and a new start on life, call 888-NEED-HIM. Let me repeat that. If you would like to speak to someone right now about beginning a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, call 888-NEED-HIM. Military Matters. Smyrna officer Daniel Sperano is alerted by a motorist to a man sitting alone on the edge of Veterans Memorial Bridge. What's going on? I approached him, introduced myself, started talking to him, and he said, I'm going to jump. This man made it clear from the start that he felt desperate, fed up, and wanted to jump. No, sir. No, sir. I ain't going to let you go today. But while talking, a common thread is found. Where'd you serve? Navy. Navy? Okay, how long? Ten years. Ten years. The young officer is a United States Army combat veteran. I think the only thing that we connected on was the simple fact of the military. Uh, when he started talking about that, his demeanor changed. But it took more than talking to get this distressed veteran to back away from the bridge. So I just wrapped him up in a big hug kind of thing. The symbolism that this veteran was alone on Veterans Memorial Bridge on Memorial Day weekend was not lost on the young officer. Veterans die every day from PTSD. Will Munley, Fox 5 News. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I'm here for the men who actually want to have their baby. It's been nearly two years since Ryan Major's girlfriend aborted their baby. It was just like my whole world just fell apart. And today he lives with a constant reminder of what could have been. Right here in the first rows, I have a due date, and it's just when the baby was supposed to be born. Majors filed a lawsuit in Madison County Wednesday, suing Alabama Women's Center, their employees, and the pharmaceutical company who makes the medication used in an abortion. I believe that every child from conception is, is a baby and it deserves to live. I talked to Dalton Johnson, who owns the Alabama Women's Center. He wasn't aware the suit had been filed, but did offer some insight into abortion procedures. The suit says the baby was aborted at six weeks. Johnson said at that point in the pregnancy, a woman can choose how she wants to end the pregnancy, either by medication or surgery. I just tried to plea with her and plea with her and just talk to her about it and see what I could do. But in the end, there was nothing I could do to change her mind. And even though it's too late for Majors to stop his girlfriend's abortion, he said he wants to give a voice to other would-be dads who find themselves in the same spot. Even though there's nothing I can do for, for the situation that I was in, there is something I can do for the future situations for other people. And, and welcome back to the show. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com, at StaceyOnTheRight on Twitter and Instagram. And thank you so much for being with us today here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. You know, uh, and, and also live streaming to America's Voice, uh, America's Voice TV. Um, so 
how can I say this? I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Look, I, I'll, I'll tell you like I've told our son many times before. Uh, we have these kind of frank chats and it's good because I, I feel like, um, and I, I'll only know when, you know, 10 years from now, if, if these chats have had a, a, an, a real impact on him in his behavior, not just on what he believes or what he says he believes or what he tells me in response to me talking to him, but the way he acts, the way he behaves. If you're having sex, you're saying you want to have a baby. That's first of all. And if you're a man and you are under any, any kind of uh, misapprehension that in America today you have any rights over a child, you have the right to pay for that child after the child is born. You have the right to lose your driver's license and have your wages garnished for a child that maybe you didn't want. You say you didn't want it, but you had sex. Uh, You have that right. Women have the control in America today over what happens with babies before they're born. Afterwards, I mean, there's a burgeoning men's rights movement. There are a lot of men out there who've successfully sued for custody of their children and gotten it. Uh, there, There are a lot of men out there who are paying child support, but they're paying a significantly reduced amount because they you know, have negotiated settlements where they have their child 50% of the time. And that can happen. But the optimal situation is just keep it in your pants unless you want a baby. And when I say unless you want a baby, because most often it's the men who don't want a baby where the woman wants one and they have it. And it's the men who want a baby who are paired up with these chicks who they're just abortion minded and they're going to go kill that baby and go on about their business. Okay. You don't have any rights. Now, had he taken the extraordinary step of marrying this girl before they decided to show their love for each other in a physical way, then it would be much less likely that she would be, you know, inclined to have an abortion. And even if she wanted to, at that point, he would have had some legal recourse. At least he could have tried. He could have tried to do something instead of at this point where they're just they're just two people who choose to have physical relations with each other. And so just like I say to him, and I've said it to teen groups, uh, I've been invited to speak to teen groups in in the St. Louis metro area. When I do, I I start off by saying, you know, parents in the audience and teenagers, everybody in here, y'all need to know I wasn't asked out here to speak to you because I like to mince words or I'm afraid of using the anatomically correct names of body parts or that I'm here to make you feel good. I'm here to tell you what God's word says about sexual relations, and I'm here to tell you the truth about what you should and shouldn't be doing with your body from the perspective of someone who's been married for over 20 years and has three kids of my own and someone who absolutely wishes I hadn't made some of the choices that I made before I was married. Once God's word gets into you and you know the truth, you're supposed to share it. You're supposed to tell other people. When you have some wisdom, godly wisdom, and you have sought the scriptures and found out, yep, this, this, is, this is God's plan for marriage. This is God's plan for human sexuality. Then it's your job to tell other people about it. And I'm not shy about saying it. Sex is for people who want to have kids. It's supposed to happen within the bounds of marriage between one man and one woman and God. And if you decide to have sex outside of marriage, you're saying you want to have a child and pay child support to some woman who's now dating somebody else and making babies with somebody else. You're saying I'm interested in wanting this baby and seeing the woman that I quote unquote love take it to Planned Parenthood and let them kill it for her. You're saying all of these other negative consequences are something you want to roll the dice. You want to gamble with your future and take a chance instead of just saying, you know what? My physical body wants to be with this woman and she looks like someone I want to marry. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to seal the deal. I'm going to marry her. All these five year engagements and two year engagements and we got to finish college before we get married. No, you don't. I know a couple that lives right here in St. Louis. They started dating in high school. And when he went away to college, he was a year ahead of her. He came back. And when she graduated, she was accepted to college and she chose to go to the same one that he went to. And they sat and they talked about their lives. They've shared this testimony before. It's, it's the, one of the most amazing presentations I've ever seen by a husband and wife. And she said they were sitting and they were talking about the way they felt about each other and how difficult it would be to be in college and living in separate dorms. And then they started looking at what they really wanted to do. And he said, do you want do you want to spend the rest of your life with me? Because I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And she said, yes, I do. But I also want to get my education. And so he said he went into his prayer closet and he started talking to the adults in his life that were his mentors, godly mentors. And they said, don't go into sin with her physically. Just marry her. You already want to marry her. She wants to marry you. Marry her. And instead of living in the dorm, get an apartment, 
and right, right close to the campus and y'all go to college and finish and get your educations. And that's exactly what they did. They did their undergrad, married, didn't have any kids, just married, living in an apartment near campus. He finished in three years because he said he was so desperate to get that undergraduate degree under his belt. He wanted to finish as fast as he could. So he finished his undergraduate degree in three years and then immediately went on to get his uh, his Ph.D. And, and he's a he's a, a high school administrator, a, a, pr- a principal. And she went on to get her Ph.D. after they had their their daughter. But after she got done with her undergrad. And they both finished early because they said once they were married and living in their apartment and going to school, it, it became, you know, they went over the summer. They didn't take summer off and go home and stay with their parents and work some little minimum wage job. They just kept going all the way through so they could get done as fast as they could. What I'm saying to you is that there's no boundary when you love someone and you want to get married and that person wants to marry you. You've graduated from high school. Go ahead and get married. So that you are now your physical union is consecrated to God and you have to walk in that blessing. Don't stop. Stop letting America's culture tell you what you can and can't do when you want to get married, which is something that God has for you. If you know you want to marry that person and they want to marry you, you can go to college and finish. Set your mind on what it is that you want to do. But this idea that you're going to date long distance and he's going to be on this campus and you're going to be on that campus over there and you're going to date and you're going to do, you know, there are a few people who've done it. I know a few people who've done that, but they're, they're not the norm. Normally the relationship breaks up over the long distance. And the other thing is that college campuses are not set up for long distance dating. Everybody there is, it's just hookup culture. The men just share the women when the, when the ratios are low, there's more men on campus than the the women. They just share them. And, And it's known and accepted that it just everybody's having sex with everybody else. That's why they stopped having the dorm separate men and women that everybody was sleeping over anyway. And the college administrators like just make them co-ed. And so they did. It's, it, that's been going on for years, just decades. And, and so if you don't want to be in the same situation that this guy's in where this girl that he was having these intimate relationship with these relations she goes and she aborts this baby and he's got nothing he can do. Now he's suing. And I, I do. I wish him the best w- uh, you know, outcome with that lawsuit. But the fact is, there's just decades of case law and Roe v. Wade itself, which gives the control over the baby to the woman because it's in her body that don't support a lawsuit of this kind. Now he could prevail and I hope he does. But the issue here, it's it. He went wrong before she had the abortion. She was wrong, but they were wrong before that for having their just girlfriend and boyfriend and they're just having sex and doing the do and, and just enjoying themselves. And then the baby comes into the picture. What did they expect that they were going to have marbles? What did they think was going to happen if they kept on having intimate relations that one of them was going to all of a sudden have an orange in their stomach? No, they're doing all of the things needed to do to make a baby. And then everybody's surprised when they make one. And then he obviously didn't know her very well. He was surprised when she decided to have an abortion. You know, if you're a guy, again, something I tell my son, you know, it's not like I'm preaching at him. We have these conversations. They're in appropriate times, but they happen. I've told him many times, if, if you decide to go with someone based on their outward appearance, because someone is hot or they have the physical attribute that you think is the most attractive, But on the inside, that person is someone who believes that feminism is a thing and that men need to be subjugated to women and that all men are a part of the patriarchy and are oppressing women or some woman who believes that liberals have the best ideas politically or, you know, first, uh, utmost importance, a person who's not a Christian, then don't be surprised when that person begins to behave, regardless of whether or not the two of you love each other and you have all these intimate relations and stuff. Don't be surprised when that person starts to disappoint you in those areas because they don't believe the things that you believe. And I have to question whether or not you really believe them if you want to be that closely associated with someone who believes the opposite of what you've been taught all these years in our home. Choose wisely. This person that you pick will be the mother of your child. If you're not married, she'll always be the mother of your child. That will always be your child and you will be connected to this person for the rest of your life. Is that what you want? To be connected to someone who has these wrongheaded ideas and would even consider aborting your child? You know, think about it. Do you, yeah, 
beauty is is fantastic. Being physically attracted to someone is wonderful. You want to be with someone that you have, you know, beauty in, in, in that person is something that's in your heart. But is beauty the most important at, attribute or is it that this person believes the same things that you believe, that they truly love and honor God? You find someone who's gorgeous when those looks start fading and, you know, this put on a couple pounds and y'all have some kids and she starts talking about Buddhism or Scientology or some strange astral crystal religion where you burn incense and rub crystals on your body. Then what are you going to do? Say, no, I don't, I don't believe in that. I'm a Christian. And she's, and she, what's she going to say? Oh, I didn't know you were a Christian. Anybody who doesn't know you're a Christian. I mean, what, what's going on here? So these are the kind of things that if you say them to people like, you shouldn't have been having sex. That's why you have all these problems. You're having sex outside of marriage. Well, that's just puritanism. That's just, you're just, you're being intolerant. I'm not, I'm just commenting on what it is that you're living right now. And the commentary is meant to be a warning to those others who might be observing your behavior and thinking, yeah, it's okay. It's cool for him to do. It's cool for me too. It's not cool for you. When you sin in your body, you sin against the temple of the Holy Spirit And when you do that, the implications are lifelong. It's not just the venereal diseases that, you know, they're they're not all cured with a pill. Some of them, the ramifications stay with you for the rest of your adult life. It's not just that. It's the emotional harm and turmoil. And it is the probability that if you are having sex outside of marriage, you are going to be tied to some nincompoop, some person who you honestly, you'll be thinking 10 years ahead. I have a child with this person. You'll literally be laying up at night thinking, I can't believe I have a child with this person. This person is influencing my child in these ways, and I can't stop it because my child has to spend 50% of his or her time with this person. So choose well. Choose based on more than just the physical appearance. Choose based on the goals that that person has and what they believe. And it's not just what they say, because there's people out there who they'll tell you anything to get the relationship going. They'll tell you anything to get you. And then they'll tell a little bit to keep you. And then once they've got you, well, they've got you. Once they've had a few kids with you, they're like, okay, you know, now I can let you see the real freak show that you got yourself involved in. Find out what they believe. And if they believe it, are they living it? If, they, if you're not living it, you don't really believe it. And above all of this, when you're going into this and you're thinking, this is a permanent lifelong relationship that I want to engage in, I want to be with this person for the rest of my life. You have to remember that if you're not praying about it, and if that person is not willing to join together with you and make that bond with God, you can't expect success in that. So these lifelong decisions, it sounds so crazy because you make the decision about marriage. Most of us make it when we are in, you know, we're, we're very not, we're not developed. We're, we're immature. And that's just the way it works. You know, you, you meet someone when you're younger, you marry them, and then you make your life together and you make that commitment that you're going to stay together forever. And you're going to do it in front of God. And he's going to enable you to do that. And he's going to grow the two of you up together. And he's going to strengthen that bond. He's going to create a tri-fold bond that cannot be broken But if you're going to join together with someone who is as strong as a piece of paper and you're as strong as steel, what do you expect? Paper is going to break. It's going to melt under pressure, under water. You can be set on fire, but steel cannot. Don't go having sex with some stranger and expect good results from that. That's the show for today. God bless you. Have a fantastic evening. I'll see you tomorrow right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.